Friends, if you would please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 15 and 16 this morning. One of the things that uh, has been on my heart uh, this week for our city uh, is just to pray for our police officers. I don't know if you've been following uh, the local news, but it's been a really tough week uh, for our police officers. A lot of violence, a lot of violence directed towards uh, police officers. You know, right here across the street from the church Friday morning, we had a guy in his car uh, that you know, let the police know that his intent was to kill police officers and started to fire on police officers. and. Officers had to fire back, and, and so this just seemed like a really violent week in, in our city. That was one of several events, and we know ultimately it's a spiritual battle, so I want to just pray this morning, and, and also to thank police officers in our church and in our community, and if you get the opportunity to interact with police officers, yeah. is thank them. It goes a long ways. You know, thank them for uh, their service in our uh, community. And, and I don't know about you, but I can't imagine our city without our police officers, right? And, and so let's pray for our police officers. Let's pray for our city as we get into the word this morning. So, Lord, we, we lift up uh, our CSPD to you, God, and we just pray that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would protect them. And Lord, a lot of uh, violence uh, directed towards them uh, this week. And Lord, we just pray uh, for your grace upon them. Lord, we, we lift up uh, this event that happened right here in the neighborhood of the church and the, those officers that responded, Lord, that you uh, would comfort their hearts and, and the first responders. And Lord, we know ultimately it's a spiritual battle and we just pray over our city this morning, God, that many people would come to know you, that many people would turn to you, that the violence that we're seeing in, in our city would, would diminish. So Lord, would you bless our time in your word this morning, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. The famous composer Bach uh, apparently enjoyed taking naps, and maybe that was a secret to his musical genius, but his kids found one sure way to wake him up, is they would go to the piano and play a composition and leave off the last note. And it drove him nuts. It would wake him up every time because he had to see the song played all the way through. This morning in our study, we're going to see the last word of God's uh, final judgment. If you don't read the book of Revelation, if you don't study the book of Revelation, you're really missing that final note where God is setting all things right. We have history past, history present and future of hard hearts towards God. And ultimately, in the book of Revelation, God is making everything right. Think about if you're in a position of authority and you're expected to, to bring justice. Say for just an example, you're a principal of a school and there's some kind of wrong that has been done and, and it's your place to make things right, but you think that the loving thing to do is to not bring consequences. You know, we've really adopted as a culture this idea that love doesn't bring consequences. If God is, is loving, then he's not going to be just. If God is loving that, that he's not going to bring just punishment, there would be many that would read Revelations 15 and 16 and try to accuse God of being unloving. But if we really think it through, if you have a position of power and you don't bring consequences, that's unloving to the person that's the victim of the crime, right? 
if you're, you're the victim of wrongdoing and the one in authority, so God's all-knowing, he's all-loving, he's all-present, and it's proper for him to bring justice upon sin. Now, thankfully, Jesus took the punishment for our sin upon the cross, but there's only two ways to deal with sin. It's by faith in Christ, receiving grace and forgiveness, or to stand before God on your own. And so the world's been rejecting Christ, not wanting anything to do with Christ, and it's just of God to to bring this last word of judgment. We'll be studying the seven bull judgments. There's the seal judgments that led to the trumpet judgments that are now leading to this bull judgment. So think of this as the super bull judgments, okay? We've got these super bulls of of God's judgment. Verse 1 of chapter 15, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them... The wrath of God is complete. So another sign in heaven that's getting the attention of the world. This is a marvelous sign. There's seven angels that have the seven last plagues, this bold judgments that the wrath of God is complete. At the end of chapter 16, we're going to hear a loud voice declare, it is done, it is finished, that the wrath of God has been poured out. In verse 2, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. These are those that are saved during the tribulation, that are faithful to God, and they have victory over Satan, victory over the Antichrist, victory over the Antichrist's image that he put up. Victory over the mark of the beast, and now they're in heaven and they're standing at the sea of glass. Contrast this with those that did receive the mark, and they're experiencing the wrath of God. And then those that didn't receive the mark, and things got difficult, maybe even killed for their faith, but now they're at a place of peace. Now they're at the sea of glass, ultimate peace. And for us as believers, we're ultimately going to be in heaven. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I I don't know what your challenges that you're facing. But I know that all of us are are facing challenges. And we look forward to when we're going to be at at the presence of God. In verse 3, they're singing. Then they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb. So even though they've gone through the tribulation, even though many of them have probably been martyred, they're singing to the Lord. Is it possible to go through tribulation singing? Yes. And we have our challenges. We know we're not in the great tribulation, but we have trial and difficulty. We can choose to sing. We can choose to celebrate God's deliverance. What's the song of Moses? The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. God miraculously set them free. They come to the Red Sea in the wilderness. The Red Sea's in front of them. Pharaoh's army's behind them. It looks like certain death. God parts the Red Sea. Pharaoh decides to follow them in, and then God crashes the water upon Pharaoh and his army, and they're delivered. When they get to the other side, they sing. So the song of Moses is a song of deliverance. They're thankful that they're delivered out of this time of the tribulation. So what's the song of the Lamb? The song of the Lamb is one of redemption, where we thank God that he has redeemed us for our sins, that he's paid the price for our sins. 
Moses is called the servant of God here. We don't want to pass over that. Throughout scripture, Moses is referred to the servant of God. The only other people referred to as God's servants are David and Joshua, but only a few times compared to Moses. You'll see the phrase servant of God more with Moses than anyone else. Moses had a difficult calling. The children of Israel were not always thankful for his leadership. Grumbling, complaining, murmuring, but yet Moses continued to serve because he was serving God. He wasn't serving the people first and foremost. He he was serving the Lord. He's titled the servant of God. So here's this song. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. Singing thanksgiving to God for his work, what God has, has done. You're the Lord God Almighty. You've delivered us out of this time of trouble. And your ways are just and true. These believers that have gotten saved in the tribulation, they're not upset at God or feeling like that God had wronged them. By God allowing them to be in this tribulation, they're saying, God, just and true are your ways. When we get to heaven, we're going to sing the same thing to the Lord. We don't understand all of God's ways right now, but when we get to heaven, just and true are your ways. God doesn't make mistakes. And when we get to heaven, we're going to come to the full understanding of that. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all of your nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Thinking of his wonder, who is like the Lord? As we were spending some time out in the mountains last weekend, there was no moon, and it was fabulous to see the stars. In this cabin that we were staying at, we had some sleeping bags, and we all got in sleeping bags and went out on the driveway and just looked up at the stars, looked up at the Milky Way. There was a lot of shooting stars, and it was amazing to think of God's glory and God creating all these stars and calling these stars by name. I mean, can you really imagine what heaven's going to be like? Who's like the Lord? You know, and this is that place of wonder. This group that has come out of the tribulation, they have this awe of God. And they worship and they speak of the nations coming and worshiping before you, for your judgments have been manifested. In verse 5, after these things I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. That's a lot of T's right there. Temple of the tabernacle of testimony. We know from Exodus and also Hebrews that the tabernacle was built as a model of the throne room of God. So when you look at the detail of the tabernacle, it gives us an idea of the articles that are around the throne room of God. And here we're told that the testimony in heaven, which speaks of the Ark of the Covenant, is opened. The the judgment of God comes from his very presence, from the Holy of Holies. From the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of His Testimony. The earthly Ark had three things inside of it. It had manna, it had Aaron's rod, and it also had a copy of the the Ten uh, Commandments. So as God pours out this last word of judgment, it comes from His very presence, from His holiness. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. 
Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Most of the time in art that depicts angels, the angels just look so wimpy, right? If you study the Renaissance period and they began to do paintings of angels, a, a lot of these, these pictures of the angels, it's like, man, these guys are sissies, right? But when we look at this description of these seven angels, they, they seem pretty tough to me. Throughout the Bible, when someone came in contact with an angel, they, they were freaked out. It was, it, was, it was overwhelming. So picture these, these seven angels and they're, they're clothed in pure bright linen. And their chests are, are girded with golden bands. This speaks of purity. The linen speaks of purity. The gold speaks of purity. Ultimately, it points to that God's judgment is pure. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bulls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So, so God gives to each angel a bull. And that bull has the, the wrath of God. Seven is the number of completion. So pouring out seven different bulls upon the world. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So smoke fills the temple here at the throne room of God to the point where no one can come into the temple until these plagues are completed. We see this several times in the Old Testament as well. When Moses received the law on Mount Sinai, God met him and there was smoke that filled that, that meeting. When the tabernacle was dedicated and also the temple, smoke came in to the point where the priests couldn't enter and minister. The smoke speaks of God's presence, his glory that is being revealed. We go on into chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go out and pour the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. This is probably the voice of God because no one can come into the temple. We just read that because the smoke is so, so thick. So probably the Lord, possibly an angel, but probably the Lord speaking saying, now's the time. Go pour out the bulls of the wrath of God on the earth. Have you ever wondered and wrestled and thought through and contemplated the, the question of God, why aren't you bringing your judgment why aren't you rapturing the church? Why aren't you wrapping things up? Because from our perspective, a lot of times it's like, Lord, it's time. The, the world is ripe for, for judgment. I just finished reading Second uh, Peter in my devotions, and, and Peter really dives into that topic in a deep way if you're wanting to study it more. And he lays out that God has shown that he's brought just judgment on the world in the past. He, he did it with the flood. So if God brought judgment in the time period of the flood, he's also going to bring judgment on the world. He brought judgment upon the angels, the angels that fell away, Satan and the other angels. He, he brought judgment uh, upon them. And so if he brought judgment on the angels, he, he brought judgment on the flood, he brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, that ultimately he's going to be faithful to his promise to hold the world accountable 
And there's some that mock and say, well, Christ is never going to return. Christ is never going to bring judgment. Things are going to continue as they've always been. But Peter then gives us the heart of God, the reason that God is waiting. The, The reason that God hasn't unleashed this judgment yet is because he doesn't want any to perish. God is giving more time for more people to come to know Christ as their Savior. So if you're wondering, why are we here? The reason that we're here is to tell people about Jesus. God's extending that grace to people because judgment is for all of eternity. But there will be that moment in time where God says, okay, it's time for the hammer to fall. It's time for judgment to come. It's time for these seven bowls to be poured out. Some of these bowls, they do parallel the plagues that God placed upon Pharaoh but they're much more intense. So verse two, so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth and foul and loathsome sore came upon men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. So the first bowl judgment is these sores. And these sores are specifically for those who took the mark of the beast and worshiped the image. Worship of the antichrist and the mark of the beast are are linked together. And it's very clear that these sores, they're they're foul, they're loathsome. They had the ability to cause you to be nauseous. They're they're highly offensive. You know, think of those smells that just make you want to puke, right? And these sores are just so so nasty and filled with with pus that it comes that place of of making you want to vomit. I'm sure for many, they thought, well, if I worship the Antichrist... And I take the mark of the beast, my life is going to be easier. We saw in Revelations 13, the Antichrist with a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world economy. You can't buy or sell with the mark of the beast. But they didn't realize by rejecting Christ that ultimately their lives would get much more difficult. In verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. When someone dies and the heart is no longer moving the blood through the body, it becomes thick. And the sea, the ocean, becomes thick like a dead man's blood to where all of the living creatures in the sea pass away. In Revelations 8, with the seals, we saw a third of the sea affected. A third of the sea becoming blood, but here all of the sea, all of the ocean becomes blood as of a dead man and all of the living creatures. So you've already got the smell from all of the sores, but now you've got the, the smell from all of the dead animals in the ocean. The ocean already has a distinct smell, doesn't it? And now all of these dead sea creatures, here's the third bowl judgment. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. So all of the fresh water is affected. The springs, the rivers, no drinking water. And here's God's justice that's displayed. And I heard the angels of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord. I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord. The one who is and the one who was, and the one 
who is to be because you have judged these things. God's righteous in doing this. This isn't sinful of God. God is bringing just judgment. Don't don't picture God doing this as someone that's just out of control in their anger. Sometimes when we bring consequences, we're we're angry and we're frustrated and and we're bringing those consequences out of our our anger. That's not what God's doing. This this is coming out of his wholeness. This is coming out of his, his righteousness. This is coming out of the consistency of who he is. The angel says the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to be. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Things have changed a lot in our world the last couple of years, and most likely they're going to continue to change. And even when there's not a pandemic, life is always changing. Really, life is very uncertain. One thing that you can count of of life is it's going to change. People change. Jobs change. Our health changes. Everything changes. But Jesus stays the same. Aren't you thankful that God's character is not changing? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In verse 6, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. They killed Christians. They shed the blood of saints and prophets, and so now God in his justice is saying, you've killed my children, you're going to have to drink blood. We live in a really blessed country. We have great access to water, don't we? You go to your faucet, and it works. It's awesome. We've even got choices. You can have tap water, which by the way, the tap water in the springs is really good. When you go to Denver, you're like, ah, oh, this tap water doesn't taste, taste very good. We got tap water, we got filtered water, and you got bottled water. We've got so many choices of, of water. But there's people in the world that, that don't have access to water. I'm always humbled in Uganda to, to see mainly kids and, and women having to travel at such great distances just to try to get drinking water. And they're carrying back their, their drinking water on, on their shoulders Much of their day is this effort of just trying to get clean water. Have we ever been in a place in our lives where we've even gone a day where we didn't have water? I'm thirsty, I'm I'm gonna gonna have water. So imagine the world in this place, they can't get drinking water. People are dying of thirst. And they go to get water and it's blood and I'm sure out of desperation, drinking that blood but not satisfying them. We go on to the fourth bowl judgment. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. So this fourth judgment affects the sun, and men begin to be scorched with fire. They're scorched from heat, and men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they didn't repent and give him glory." It's very clear, I I want you to note this and understand this, that the world knows that they're dealing with the wrath of God. There's no reports coming from CNN or New York Times or any Instagram feed saying, we don't understand these events. Maybe these are aliens that have affected the sun. Maybe evolution is taking place. 
And this is this cosmic turmoil that's ultimately going to result in things revolving. They know that God has power over these plagues. There's no other way to explain it. It's so clear. God is bringing just judgment. You would think that this kind of punishment would bring some humility, would bring some breaking, would bring some turning to God and and repentance and trusting Jesus for, for salvation. We all probably at some point in our life had a breaking point, right? Someone loved us enough to bring loving consequences on us and we didn't yield and we didn't yield and we didn't yield and then we finally said, okay, uncle, I cry mercy. I'm going to listen to what you're telling me to do. And, and the world here, even though it's so intense, water of blood and being scorched up with fire, they don't yield. They don't repent. They don't humble themselves before the Lord. So if you're thinking about a relationship with Jesus, you're thinking about trusting him for salvation, you might think, well, if God made it a little bit more clear that he exists and that he's powerful, then I would believe in him. I've talked with a few people over the years that have said, if God did something like move this chair from there to over here, just cause the chair to get up and levitate across the room, then I would believe in God. And I would suggest to you this morning to think through, hasn't God already revealed himself enough? Through creation, through sending his son to die upon the cross, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So this is the morning to realize, man, I'm a sinner. We're sinners. We need a savior and to repent from sin, to believe and, and be saved because the world in their hard hearts and this point is unwilling to repent. They're, they're unwilling to acknowledge their sin before the Lord. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnarled their tongues because of the pain. So the fifth bowl judgment affects the throne of the beast, the throne of the Antichrist. During this seven-year period, the Antichrist was allowed to have authority, to have a kingdom, to bring other kings around him. And now there's judgment specifically on his throne, and there's darkness that comes, and there's the gnarling of their tongues because of pain. So with this darkness comes pain. Jesus described hell and Matthew 25 verse 30 is is outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Satan in his deception tries to tell us that heaven is a boring place to go to. It's forever. What are you going to do in heaven forever? And then what's hell? Hell's a giant party. When hell freezes over, I'm going to ski and snowboard there too. Nobody's skiing in hell. Nobody's throwing back beers and lighting up marijuana in hell. There's no no party that's happening in hell. It's outer darkness. Talk about isolation and social distancing. I mean, you're completely isolated in darkness. Have you ever been in a cave, a cave tour, and there's usually lights, and then they, they turn out the lights, and they're like, put your hand in front of your face. I can't see it. I can't see my hand. It's, it's outer darkness. It's the absence of, of the presence of God. Again, God's heart, so he doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want to send, send you to hell. He wants you to, to trust Christ for, for salvation. Again, this response of hard hearts, 
They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and didn't repent of their deeds. Getting angry at God, not wanting anything to do with Christ, rejecting Christ. Here's the sixth bowl judgment. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. At the end of chapter 14, we see the battle of Armageddon alluded to. We referenced it in passing. Now here we see the battle of Armageddon in more detail, zoomed up. And that's often the case in prophecy. Something will be mentioned in a broad way and then God will come in 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 closer detail. And here in this six-bowl judgment, God dries up the Euphrates River, which is 1,730 miles long, 1,700 miles long, beginning in Turkey and flowing down to Kuwait. And the reason that God dries up the Euphrates is it becomes a highway for the kings of the east. The kings of the east are going to come to this battle to fight against God. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So three demons, and as John looks at the demons, he perceives them to be like frogs. And the demons come and are part of this process of gathering the armies to the battle of Armageddon, and the demons are are coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophets, this unholy trinity. So there's a demonic realm that's taking place. God in his judgment is is allowing the demonic realm to have its way, to, to allow us to see really the nastiness and how hideous Satan is. And Satan in his work wants to gather the nations against God. For there are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of the God Almighty. So where is humanity headed? What's the ultimate future? Hearts are going to get so hard that the nations of the world, kings, leaders, decide we want to take on God. We're, we're upset at God for bringing these plagues, for bringing this, this judgment. So, so we're going to go to war against God. And they come to this place of Armageddon to fight against the Lord, to gather them to battle of the great day of God Almighty. Man, the hard hearts of humanity. Again, we don't see this fully, thankfully, but we do see society warming up in this way. Where ultimately more and more there's this movement of saying, we don't want anything to do with God. We actually want a war against God. Maybe in your heart and in this morning, you're wrestling with who Jesus is and surrendering to Christ. And, and I want to tell you, I want to declare to you that you're ultimately your, your battle's with the Lord. It's not with your parents or your spouse who is a believer or the church or any of those things, there's this conflict between you and God. And in your heart, you don't want to surrender to him. And with Jesus, as he died for our sins and rose again, he commands to be Lord of our life. He says, I want to be your Lord, which means he takes control of our life. And there's something inside of us, our 
sinful flesh, our hearts, where we go, I don't want Jesus to have control. There's some of you that are wrestling with that very decision this morning of surrendering to Christ as as your Savior, but you're saying, I don't want him to have control. And there's this battle that's going between you and the Lord, this war that's waging between you and the Lord. Here Jesus speaks, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Jesus says his coming is going to be one of a surprise. You don't know when a thief is coming. You, you want to try to be prepared in a protective way for, for a thief that, that may come. So Jesus exhorts us to watch, to be ready, to, to be looking for his coming, looking for the rapture of the church. And as we're watching and we're, we're ready to be in a place where our garments are kept clean, well, what in the world are our garments? It's salvation that God has provided for us. We're robed in Christ's righteousness. Now, don't misunderstand the gospel. This isn't works-based salvation. This isn't trust Christ for salvation and then try to be a really good person and maybe you'll be saved. But this is an exhortation to continue to believe the gospel, to remain in faith that Jesus died for your sins and and rose again. By by trusting what Christ has done for us, we're prepared for his coming. We're we're prepared for the the Lord to come. Let's be honest for just a minute. How much of our thoughts are really directed to Jesus, you may come. Jesus, you are going to come. You're going to judge this world. I, I don't think about it nearly enough. What I think about is, how's the Cartier clan going to get through the week? How are we going to get the laundry done? Make sure to get the bills paid. The check engine lights on on the van. All that stuff, right? The groceries. Just doing daily life. And we get caught in, in daily life and we forget Jesus, you're coming back, and to be watched full of that. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. So the nations of the world are, are gathered together in the valley of Megiddo. Armageddon literally means hill or city of Megiddo. In the Old Testament, there's battles that happened in this famous valley. Barak leads a a battle in the valley of Megiddo. Gideon leads a battle here as well. Saul dies in the valley of Megiddo. In more current history, in 1918, Megiddo was the place where the Allied forces fought against the Ottoman Empire. You can be at the hill of Megiddo in Israel and look out over The valley, it's also called the Valley of Jezreel, and it's humbling to think that this is where this ultimate battle is going to take place, where the nations of the world are going to war against God. So that's the sixth bowl judgment, and now the seventh bowl. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, it is done. So a loud voice from the throne, from the temple, again, Most likely the voice of God because there's this smoke that's around the throne room of God that no one can go into and God says, it is done. Now, does this sound familiar to you at all? When Jesus died upon the cross, what was he doing? He was taking the wrath of God for our sins. And he cried out, it is finished, it is done. He paid the price for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, 
there's seven statements that he made from the cross. There's only seven things that he said. If you take all of the gospel accounts and you put them together, there's seven statements. There's seven bull judgments. Jesus was taking the wrath of the Father, the last of Jesus' statements. It is finished. What God declares at the end of these bull judgments, the last word, it is done. It's really clear. Our sin is either going to be paid for by Christ on the cross, and by faith and grace we receive that forgiveness, or we have to stand before the Lord on our own. We really have no idea the depth of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I think we have just surface knowledge of it. When we get to heaven and we see the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundations of the world, when we see his wounds, it's going to hit us in a whole other way what Jesus went for us on, on the cross. There was darkness there when Christ was crucified. There's darkness here as these bulls are being poured out. When Jesus died, there was an earthquake. We're going to read, there was an earthquake here. So if you contrast Christ's crucifixion and the seven statements of the cross with these bull judgments, you definitely see the parallel. One of the things that's really good for us as we study the book of Revelation is it helps us understand what Christ did for us on the cross in a greater way to see that he took the wrath of the Father for my sins. We go on to verse 18, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on earth. So this is an earthquake like nothing that we have seen. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. So this is speaking of Jerusalem. Through this earthquake, the cities divided into three parts. And then the cities throughout the world, they fall. Jesus told us one of the signs leading up to the end is earthquakes. And if you study the history of earthquakes, they're happening with greater and greater rapidity. And then ultimately, it's going to lead to the big whammy. And all of the cities of the nations fell. And Great Babylon, which we'll study more next week, was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Some special judgment for, for Babylon. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Every island is affected by this earthquake. The mountains fell. The mountains flee away. Verse 21, And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. So it ends with this earthquake and this hail that's coming from heaven. But once again, we don't see humility. We, we don't see repentance. We don't see, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I, I realize this is just judgment that is coming upon me. So what do we do with this chapter? You know, how, how do we respond to, to this chapter? Well, first, I, I think for us is it, it moves us to a place of understanding that God is going to make everything right. God is the, the just judge who is going to bring his judgment. And the reason that he's waiting is to give people an opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior. A lot of times we may not feel the depth of our forgiveness, the depth of being the child of God, 
behold what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we're the children of God. But it's a big deal for those of us that know Christ to be in Christ, amen? Amen. To not be in the place of we're the object of of God's wrath, that Jesus took that, that for us. So for us as believers to be in that place of rejoicing, but also to be in that place of having a heart for those that don't know Christ as their Savior. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He could have lived a comfortable life, but instead he, he chose a, a life of service. He chose a life of sacrifice upon the cross. And Jesus calls us into his mission to follow him to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And and God wants to use us to share the gospel, to share the good news of of Jesus Christ. There's two times that God speaks audibly from heaven in the gospels. And both times he says, this is my boy right here. This is my boy whom whom I love. This is my son in whom I'm, I'm well pleased. You can tell who the parents are this morning where their kids are in the, in the choir, they're sitting over here going, that's my boy. That's my daughter. You can see the grandparent glow of some grandparents that are able to watch their grandkids. There's probably some grandparents on the live stream in other parts of the country that are taking the link and sending it out. Like, like that's my grandkid right there, right? And that's God saying, this is my boy. This is my son. And why would God tell us so clearly, I want you to know that I love my son, so that we would appreciate what Jesus did for us on the cross. So if you haven't trusted Christ for salvation, as we've read from scripture, not taking my word for it, judgment's very real. Someday you're going to stand before God, and the only thing that can save you is trusting Christ for salvation. God gave his only begotten son for you for you specifically. He died for the sins of the world. That includes you. He died for your sins. He died for for my sins. So as we close this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. Receive Christ. Trust him for salvation. Don't wait. Billy's going to come and lead us in a worship song, and there'll be a ministry team available here in the front, and come and let us know. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. Right where you're sitting, You can cry out to the Lord, say, Jesus, save me. I repent of my sins. Just as easy as it is to blaspheme Christ, you could choose to repent of sin and Jesus, I believe you're God, that you died for me and rose again. I want you to be the Lord of my life. As you're listening at at home online, you can go to the chats and the comments and indicate a decision for Christ. You can get on your knees in your home and cry out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. It doesn't matter if you walk down to the front or you cry out to the Lord right there in your seat, or you you go in your car and you trust Christ for salvation, but it is important that you believe. It is important that you repent from your sin and allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And yes, your eternity is determined by whether you say yes or no to Jesus, but it also impacts this life. Jesus doesn't promise an easy life, but he promises an abundant life. And then for us as believers, let's go out and take the gospel. Jesus was the friend of sinners. Let's be in relationship with people that don't know Christ. Let's love them. Let's care for them. Let's share.
that Jesus died for them, that he rose again and and he saved them. When we get to heaven, we're going to look back on our lives and go, oh, it was really all about loving Jesus and loving people and, and pointing them to Christ. God is working in these times. The enemy Satan wants us to think that God isn't working in these times, but he's working. People are hungry. They're searching. They're looking for answers. This is an awesome time to love people in Jesus' name, love them with the gospel, and see what God will do. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we're humbled by your word. We're humbled by your justice and your holiness. It is right for you to to bring just judgment upon sin. And we see the magnificence of you, Jesus, that that you took our sin for us, that that you took this wrath that was meant for for us. So we embrace that this morning. For those that know Christ, Lord, would we be moved to to love people in Jesus' name, to proclaim the gospel, to to believe in the, the power of the gospel. For those that are wrestling about surrendering their life to you, to trusting you, repenting of sin, Holy Spirit, would you move in their life? Would you draw them to you? So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.